0: Or send an email to OpenLine at EWTN.com.
1: Hey, tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade Menezes is on the mission band, but he's here ready to take your phone calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1- 205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky, and Jeff Burson, magnificent person handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, our favorite Father of Mercy, Father Wade Menezes, do you have time to get the show in before the afternoon milking?
2: (laughs) That's a great question, as I am indeed in dairy country here in Turlock, California, broadcasting live this hour for Open Line Tuesday from our Lady of the Assumption Parish here in Turlock, California. So a shout out to our Lady of the Assumption's pastor, Father Larry Machado, and his fantastic staff here who have done such a a great job in helping uh, promote the parish mission, uh, Ashley and Dominique in the office and others, and everybody who's come together for the parish mission for over 200 people a night these last two nights, which is fantastic. And so we're, we're, we're going full steam with this five-night parish mission in honor of the three-year Eucharistic revival titled The Most Holy Eucharist Gift and Sacrament. And tonight's talk is Rekindling Eucharistic Amazement, Uh, more modern-day saints in the Eucharist. Uh, Last night was the Church Fathers in the Eucharist from the first seven to eight centuries, and before that, the opening night was the Old Testament and New Testament foreshadowings of the Eucharist in sacred scripture before it was actually instituted on the night of the arrest in the upper room. And so uh, we are heeding our bishop's call for uh, an increase of love and devotion to this source and summit of the entire Christian life. And I wish to thank uh, Father Machado for inviting the Fathers of Mercy, and it's a delight always to come home to my home area of Modesto, Jack, uh, which Turlock neighbors, and so uh, it's it's great to be here.
1: So last week we talked about the importance of thinking eternity-minded. And the reason we want to do that is because we want to be mindful of our particular judgment.
2: That's right, and so I want to continue the theme of last week, living eternity-minded, with this week's springboard on the particular judgment, and a little bit about the general judgment and how the two differ, as we now enter into Advent, which focuses on the two comings of Christ, right? Not only his second coming from the first Sunday of Advent all the way through December 16th, but also his first coming as a babe in a manger, actually in the womb of His Blessed Mother first, before the manger, uh, which we focus on especially from uh, December 17th to Christmas Day, December 25th, that nine-day novena countdown for Christmas. And we see that liturgical shift in the readings from focusing on Christ's uh, second coming, the majority of Advent, and then from December uh, 17th through the 25th, focusing on His Uh, first coming. But during the majority of Advent, we have all these readings about judgment, both the particular and the general, and how we are called to be eternity-minded. Again, our topic last week for the springboard here on Open Line Tuesday. So this week, Jack, I want to continue that theme because we got so many beautiful calls last week about people who had relatives and loved ones who had a very, very holy death a very, very blessed and provided-for death. For example, with all the elements of the last rites, huh? all five major elements of the so-called last rites, that would be the anointing of the sick, holy confession, holy viaticum, which is one's final holy communion, the prayers of commendation prayed over the dying, which includes the litany of the saints being prayed over the dying person. How beautiful is that? And then lastly, number five, the apostolic pardon. So when the Church lists judgment as the second of the four last things, judgment, heaven, and hell. It refers to both the particular judgment and the general judgment. The particular judgment is the eternal retribution received by each soul at the moment of death in accordance with that person's faith and works. The general judgment, on the other hand, Jack, refers to the end of time at Christ's second coming, when all will be revealed and our particular judgment will be ratified for all to see and to understand. St. Thomas Aquinas says, judgment cannot be pronounced on a man until he has run his course of life, huh? St. Thomas Aquinas also says this, everyone, past, present, and future, will be judged. Now then is the time for mercy, while the time to come will be the time for justice only. For that reason, the present time is ours, but the future time will be God's only, huh? And then St. Ignatius of Antioch, early church father, says this, all things have an end, and two things, life and death, are side by side set before us, and each man will go to his own place, okay? So we don't want to be caught off guard, Jack, is my main thesis here, if you will. This is why St. Paul writes, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober, quoting 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, and 6. In short, while we do not know when our particular or general judgment will take place when it will come, we can surely work on being prepared for death. Again, that is living eternity minded, which was our springboard for last week, uh, as we talked about last Tuesday. And so if we have listeners right now, Jack, this hour, who did not hear last week's show on November 28th, I encourage them to listen to last week's show from November 28th, as well as today's full show, uh, December 5th, because these two shows really go hand in hand and are so, so appropriately themed for Advent, okay? So... A question to our Open Line Tuesday listeners this hour. How much did you think about your particular judgment this week? How much did you think about the general judgment this week? What about the second coming of Christ as the general judgment? How many times do you think about that? While we don't want to have a morbid obsession with these topics, true enough, we do want to have a healthy understanding and appreciation of them as official church doctrine revealed through sacred scripture, tradition, and the magisterium. So a good rule of thumb, Jack, is for us to ask God for the grace to think about these very topics regarding judgment at least as often as Jesus Christ and his bride, the church, think and talk about them. And what do I mean by that? Well, through his word and through his sacred liturgy, Jesus is very frequently, very frequently telling us that he is coming again. For example, we hear the message of the second coming of Christ multiple times throughout Holy Mass. So next time you're at Mass, take special note of the Eucharistic prayer as just one example as to how many times the judgment, particular or general, is mentioned. And even more so if certain other prayers are are used, like the Advent colics and the Advent readings, we're constantly hearing about uh, the judgment of the individual human person. Even the gospel reading uh, might refer to the second coming of Christ during ordinary time, or the reality of judgment during ordinary time. Even the Easter season does. So our Lord and His Bride, the Church, place these doctrinal themes before us quite frequently. So let us be attentive to them, huh? So if you haven't recently thought about the day of Jesus' second coming, or at least His coming at the day of your death, your particular judgment, then you are probably going to be caught off guard. If so, it's not because our Lord and His Bride, the Church, haven't been warning you. They surely have especially through scripture and the sacred liturgy. St. Paul tells us clearly, but you are not to be caught in the darkness, my brethren, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. First Thessalonians 5. And I love 2 Corinthians 6 too, Jack. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. How do, how do I know that this isn't going to be the day that I'm called, right? Uh, to, to have my particular judgment. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Uh, Hebrews 13 says, Encourage each other while it is still today. Huh? Psalm 118 says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And Hebrews 4.7 says, Today if you should hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Huh? So I want, when we come back from the break, I want to finish this up with just a few more points. Um, in the meantime, I really want to encourage our live listeners this hour on Open Line Tuesday to continue the theme of last week, and it's with this particular topic regarding judgment. Uh, It ties itself to it. Have you witnessed a very holy and provided for death? Maybe an elderly parent, maybe a child. Uh, We have a whole host of childhood saints who died very, very holy deaths. St. Maria Goretti. Uh, stabbed 11 times, excuse me, stabbed 14 times at age 11 by 20-year-old lust addict Alessandro Serenelli, who later converted in prison. And what did Maria Garetti tell her mother on her deathbed the day she died? Mama, mama, pray for Alessandro that he may be converted so that I may one day see him in heaven, for I forgive him. I mean, how beautiful is that, you know? Uh, so we have a whole host of saints. Have you witnessed a holy death, a provided-for death? Give us a call now. Give a witness call on Open Line Tuesday.
1: Eight three three two eight eight 288 ewtn That's our toll-free number, Eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. 3986 It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. Church Pop takes a fresh and fun look at the news shaping our world, featuring engaging, inspiring, and informative Catholic social media content. You can find it on Snapchat, Instagram, and on the web at churchpop.com. And you can get Church Pop directly to your email inbox, which I do every day. Visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833 288 EWTN, that's our toll free number. 833-288-3986. We're talking about being prepared for our particular judgment.
2: Yeah, amen to that. In other words, dying well, right? Wanting to die well. Uh, Beginning on page 22 of my book, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell, I write these words, Jack. Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, being just that, a good and holy mother, also teaches us the importance of praying for a holy and happy provided for death. The Church encourages us to prepare ourselves for the hour of our death. In the Ancient Litany of the Saints, for instance, she has us pray, quote, From a sudden and unforeseen death, deliver us, O Lord, quote. to ask the Mother of God to intercede for us at, quote, at the hour of our death. Amen end quote, in the Hail Mary prayer. How about that? And to entrust ourselves to St. Joseph, the patron saint of a happy death. Why is that? Well, we touched upon this a little bit last week. St. Joseph is considered the patron saint of a happy death because of an ancient tradition in the Church that holds that on his deathbed when he died, he was flanked on either side of his deathbed by both the Blessed Virgin Mary and his foster son, Jesus Christ. The Blessed Virgin Mary, his spouse, and his foster son, Jesus Christ. And, and this is a beautiful image, right? This is just a beautiful experience that each one of us can ask for, that when we die, may it be such a holy and provided-for death that we, too, have the Blessed Virgin Mary standing on one side and our Lord Jesus Christ on the other. And I want St. Joseph in front of my deathbed, and I want my guardian angel directly behind my deathbed. So I, I, I add those two as well. So I want to be completely surrounded, right? By happy death, we simply mean the following. First... To die in a state of sanctifying grace, that is, with no known mortal sin on our soul that has not already been sacramentally forgiven. This is why monthly confession, for example, is so important. Second, to receive the sacrament of the anointing of the sick if our death is preceded by an illness. Third, to receive Holy Viaticum, that is, one's final Holy Communion. Fourth, to have the prayers of commendation for the dying prayed over us by the priest, which again includes the litany of the saints being prayed over you. And fifthly, to have received the apostolic pardon, huh? which also confers a plenary indulgence upon us, provided we are open to this great grace. Regarding the happy death, St. Junipero Serra the founder of those beautiful California missions here in this state of California, where I'm broadcasting this week, he says this, quote, "'Of all the things of life, a happy death is our principal concern. For if we attain that, a happy death,' It matters little if we lose all the rest, but if we do not attain that, nothing else is of any value. So there you have it, a great saint, Unipotor Ossera, putting an emphasis on the importance of praying daily for a happy and provided for death. So there you have it. Uh, The importance of being eternity-minded. Last week's Open Line Tuesday springboard topic for November 28th, 2023, And this week's topic, on December 5th, 2028, the particular judgment per se, and some elements regarding the general judgment per se as well, and and these two shows go together, so they provide a good catechesis on what the Church teaches about living eternity-minded, all the Church and her liturgy says about being prepared eternity-minded for your particular and general judgment, and of course the particular and general judgment Uh, itself. So there you have it, Jack. Let's get some calls today. Those who've experienced a holy and provided-for death for a family member, a friend, a loved one, as we progress now through this beautiful season of Advent, the first two-thirds of which focus on the particular and general judgments, and the last nine days of which, leading up to Christmas, beginning on December 17th, the first coming of Christ. There's, there's a great quote by St. Augustine, early church father, who gave, gives us his confessions and City of God. He says, let us not forget Christ's first coming, precisely so that we do not regret his second coming. I mean, he gives us volumes of catechesis, volumes of doctrine in just that one sentence. Let us not forget Christ's first coming precisely so that we do not regret his second coming. There you have it.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-3986. First up today is Dina, a first time caller in the great state of California, listening on the EWTN app. Father Wade, Dina is taking the penitential aspect of Advent very seriously, and she's going to come to your mission. Dina, you're <laughs> on with you say- Father Wade.
2: Dina, Dina, he's Hi, saying that Hello, Dina. He's saying that it's penitential to come to my parish missions. <laughs> I certainly hope you don't think that.
3: I do not.
2: Okay, good, good. What's your question, Dina?
3: So my question is, at your mission on Thursday, will the mass count for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception as the vigil mass for that?
2: absolutely a fantastic question. Yes, it certainly will. It's a five-night mission from Sunday through Thursday inclusive, December 3rd through December 7th. Tonight is the third night, December 5th, and Thursday night the 7th is a solemn closing Mass to close the mission. The homily at that Mass, Dina, will function as the fifth and final conference, and the Mass itself will be the liturgical prayers and readings for the Vigil Mass of the Immaculate Conception, which is Friday, December 8th. So if you go to the Thursday night closing Mass for the vigil, uh, the closing of the mission, yes, to answer your question, it is the Vigil Mass for the Immaculate Conception the following day, and so it fulfills your Holy Day of Obligation requirement. So what a a fantastic question and a benefit to so many listeners uh, who may be in the area listening right now. Uh, I want to also acknowledge Dina. Dina was a tremendous help to me this past July when I filled in for Father Isaac Menezes of Holy Rosary Parish during a one-month sabbatical while he took his mother to their homeland of the Azores, my own uh, heritage, my own national heritage of, of Azorean Portuguese. While Father Isaac was able to take his mother to the Azores for the month, I filled in for him at his beautiful parish of Holy Rosary for the month, and uh, Turlock, where I'm at right now at Our Lady Assumption, having the five-night mission, it's, it's the city or town positioned between my hometown of Modesto and hillmar so it's it's always great to come back and Dean, i thank you for all your help and assistance uh that last july when i was there and uh we hope to see you again at the mission this this evening and so thank you again for such a great call
3: okay
1: 833-288-ewtn is our toll-free number 833-288-3986 Mary Lou in South Carolina gave us a call, and she wants to know, Father, I heard grumbling is a sin. Is it a mortal sin?
2: Well, a mortal sin has three requirements. It has to be grave matter. You have to have fullness of knowledge that it's grave matter, the particular action you're contemplating, and thirdly and finally, you have to do it with Deliberate consent of your will. Grave matter, meaning what? It it contravenes God's moral law, and gravely so, seriously, seriously so. The Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. That's what we mean by grave matter. It has to seriously contravene God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. You have to have knowledge that the action in question does just that. You have to have fullness of knowledge. And number three, lastly, you have to do it with deliberate consent of your will. If any one or two of those is missing, uh, you have a venial sin. So uh, you, c- you can't answer that directly. You have to know whether or not you're grumbling over something that's grave matter, or are you, are you grumbling at, re- at a revealed truth like the sacred incarnation— Uh, claiming that there's no way you can believe in Jesus Christ, that it's all a hoax and and whatever else, even though he's revealed himself, and you're grumbling about the claim that Catholics make, that it's all real? Well, if you're grumbling about that, that's grave matter, okay? And if you have fullness of knowledge that it's grave matter, there's a problem there, too. Now, if you're grumbling to yourself that you didn't like the cauliflower and peas that were served tonight at the family dinner table, I don't think that's grave matter. Uh, Now, those things said about such a question and evaluating whether or not it's grave matter and done with fullness of knowledge and done with deliberate consent of your will, I will say this, grumbling can never be good, uh, whether it's in a venial state, a mortal state, or just a daily fault state. Um, let's say you're angry at, at somebody you're, or you're grumbling about somebody else. I read a great Protestant church marquee sign one time in southern Mississippi in my travels, and it simply said this, he who angers you controls you. He who angers you controls you. So why are you letting the person control you by way of your grumbling, you know? Uh, one time I was talking to a person outside after Mass, and I had preached at that particular Mass. I want to make it clear this was not confession. Uh, talking to him after Mass, and he was touched by the homily that I preached where I gave that very example. So he was telling me that he had, had some problems with his brother-in-law, and he just could not get over this anger with his brother-in-law. And so I'm there talking to him. By this time, most of the crowd from Mass has dissipated, and it's he, a lot, he and I alone on the church steps outside, and we're talking about this. And, and I mean, he's angry towards his brother-in-law. And then in the process of talking about this brother-in-law, he happens to say, yeah, and then, uh, you know, he, he, he died eight years ago. And I says, I'm sorry, say that again? He says, yeah, well, he died eight years ago. I said, and you're still this mad at him? I mean, it's bad enough to to be angry. Remember, he who angers you controls you, right? That that Mississippi church marquee sign on their front lawn. He who angers you controls you. The whole time he's talking about this brother-in-law, Jack, he was talking to me about him and the anger towards the brother-in-law as though the brother-in-law was still living. I mean, it was that pertinent still in modern day and age. And then he happens to say in passing, yeah, and he died eight years ago and you're still holding this anger towards him, brother, this is not healthy. It's bad enough to let a living person control you through your anger, and you're letting a deceased person of eight years continue to control you through your anger. This is just not healthy. So, it's, so it cannot be good to grumble is my point here. Great question. Thank you so much. couple of open lines for you at
1: 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 288 3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1205 271 2985. Congratulations going out to another member of the EWTN radio family. WSFI radio in Greater Chicagoland is celebrating 10 years. With EWTN, congratulations to Angela Tomlinson and everybody at WSFI from your friends here at EWTN Radio. Grab one of these open lines, 833-288-EWTN. It's a free telephone call anywhere in the United States and Canada, 833 288 three nine eight six and you can always send us an email that email address is open at ewtn.com that's openline, all one word at ewtn.com it's open line tuesday with father wade menezes
0: This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Marie, another first-time caller. She's in the great state of Wisconsin, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Marie, thank you so much for holding. Welcome to the program.
3: Thank you. Yeah, I just would want to say that our, our, our granddaughter was... Three at the time. She's four now, but uh, she was almost four, and she mm. passed away a couple of times. And um, she had severe type one diabetes and went into shock. We they never knew she even had that. She was brought to the hospital, and the hospital transferred her by ambulance to another hospital. And um, but anyhow, we were walking outside their house. This was about two weeks after she was home, and we were praying by their statue of Mary outside. And I said, and thank you, Mary, for being with our granddaughter while she was in the hospital, and she just stopped right there, and she said, Grandma, it wasn't just Mary, Jesus was there, too. And I said, He was. And she said, yeah, they would come, and they would go, and they would come, and they would go. And um, Mm. the doctor said that she passed a couple of times back and forth, and um then she went up to her mom a while later and looked at her at my daughter and said, Mommy, next time I die, will you come with me? It was mm. it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Mm. So I just wanted to put that in there. <laughs>
2: Well, Thank beautiful, you. beautiful, beautiful witness. Beautiful witness uh, regarding a, a near-death experience. And you said the doctor said she actually passed twice, but, but they were able to revive her and bring her back. You know, there's a lot of mystery there that we don't understand. How, she's still living. Uh, how old is she now? Yes.
3: She's four, and she's doing great. Beautiful. She remembers it. And every time I give her, like, I give her those holy socks for Christmas wow. or whatever, and she just loves them and looks at them. And she's got this deep concern, and... and um it's just wonderful. She knows all prayers and stuff. She doesn't always say them. She didn't think she was supposed to tell anybody, she told me. She was, I didn't think, right. and she had a little list at the time. She goes, I didn't think I was supposed to tell anybody about this. And I said, Oh, yes, everybody needs to know. And I said, That's right. beautiful. But when you said Jesus on one side and Mary on the
4: other, you Okay.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much for a beautiful witness, uh, Marie. We really appreciate that regarding your little granddaughter. And God bless her and continue to bring her to full and complete health.
1: 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Joy is another first-time caller in the great state of South Carolina listening on the EWTN app. Joy, you are on with Father Wade. Hi, and thank you. <coughs> um, I
4: have a daughter that is in law school right now. and She's a lover of truth, lover of law, lover of justice, all bound for it and the other day I said to her, Natalie, remember that remember that in the Ark of the Covenant the law of Moses is there but the mercy seat is on top. So mercy trials triumphs over judgment and she said yes that if there is no law there is no need for mercy. And yeah. that's it me kind of confused and and started thinking about it as the law, like the natural law. and So how, how do I look at this? I, I don't
2: really... Okay. Get... Yeah, the doctrine of God's justice and mercy and how they uh, both can coexist in a merciful act on God's part towards the person and uh, and as a just act on God's part towards the person... Is tied to the reality of the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, and charity being the greatest. Everything is ultimately, ultimately, ultimately based on love, because God is love. So when we look at mercy and justice, we know that any act of God's justice is merciful based on the history of that person, and vice versa. Any act of mercy is just because of the person and how that person lived out their life in accordance with God's grace. So, justice is 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 one of the four cardinal virtues. Okay, uh, uh, justice, uh, prudence, temperance, and fortitude. So th- your question revolves around that that one uh, cardinal virtue. By the way, they're called the cardinal virtues. Cardines in the Latin means hinge, like a door hinge. So So uh, that's a pretty important part of the door. It supports the door, right? So we're saying that the four cardinal virtues are the very hinges, like hinges of a door from the Latin cardiness. The four cardinal virtues are the very hinges by which the entire moral life of the individual human person is built upon or swings upon. Okay, so there's several kinds of justice when we talk about justice. First of all, just justice in a nutshell. It's the cardinal moral virtue which consists in the constant and firm will and disposed will, disposition, to give their due to God and to neighbor what are properly theirs. If we don't give to God or neighbor what is properly theirs, then we're not acting in love. So to go to Mass on Sunday, to worship God on Sunday... Is tied intricately to the first three of the Ten Commandments. Okay, Uh, to not worship God on the on the day of rest is to not give God His due, and that's not living a very charitable life. Same thing with the neighbor: say uh, not providing your neighbor with a just wage if they carry out a a work situation for you that you've employed them for. Huh? Original justice refers to the state of holiness in which God created our first parents. Commutative justice, commutative justice. Uh, is that which obliges us to respect the rights of the other, and is required by the seventh commandment, okay, of the ten, and it is distinguished from legal justice, which is what your daughter is kind of bearing on here, uh, which concerns what the citizen owes to the community, and distributive justice, which regulates that that which the community owes the individual citizens, in proportion to the citizens' contributions and needs towards the common good. So justice bears on, on very distinct certain fronts when it's looked at as a, as a cardinal virtue that is is important to say how we're going to live our life, not only towards God, not only towards our individual neighbor, but towards our fellow citizens as a community, towards... Uh, uh, the the reality of the society as a whole, and then the society and the citizenry has a due a, a right and duty to give back to the individual what is properly theirs. So there's a lot of fronts here. So where God's mercy is practiced towards the individual, we have His justice simultaneously present. And when God's justice is enacted, we also see that He's acting very merciful towards the person, based on how that person lived their life ultimately on charity and love, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I would encourage you and your daughter, since you're having this conversation, to read the wonderful, wonderful section of the four cardinal virtues in the Universal Catechism, and of course pay particular te- attention to the section on justice, where it's broken down uh, regarding her arguments and what she told you and from her law studies, and it'll greatly... Help both of you see how the church views views the the cardinal virtue of justice in regards to the lived experience of the human person and in regards to the judgment of God towards the person, both of which are based on love. Great question. Thank you so much.
1: Larry is following us on social media today and wants to know, Father Wade, why is the Alleluia verse before the gospel included in the mass during Advent, but the
2: Gloria is omitted? Great question, Larry, because the Gloria, in part, large part, in fact, uh, are the words of the uh, angels to the shepherds on the night of the birth of our Lord. And so we silence the Gloria in anticipation of the Mass at Night, formerly called Midnight Mass, or Mass at Midnight, now officially called Mass at Night, uh, There's the Vigil Mass, there's the Mass at night, and then there's the Christmas Masses during the day. So the Vigil Mass uh, can take place uh, at a a vigil hour, say 4, 5, 6 o'clock. The Mass at night usually takes place anywhere from 9 o'clock onwards. I see it mostly celebrated now between 10 and 12 midnight. Many, many places still have it celebrated at midnight, which in that case would already be December 25th, but it can technically be celebrated on December 24th, like at 10 or 11 o'clock as well. So up until the Vigil Mass, when we hear the Gloria again, the Vigil Mass of Christmas when Jesus is born, celebrating his nativity, right? That's when we hear the words of the Gloria from the angels to the shepherds. And so because Advent is more of a sober, awakening season, where Lent is more penitential, Advent has penitential aspects to it too. For example, both liturgical seasons of Advent and Lent wear the violet vestments, right? A penitential color, violet. So there are some penitential ties to Advent, but where Lent is more strictly, strictly penitential, Advent is more minorly penitential and more majorly focusing on sober, awakening, judgment, etc. In fact, the springboard topic next week, in, the, in our second week of Advent, will be about an overview of the liturgical season of Advent. So Larry, be sure to turn, tune in next week, and we'll lear, learn more about the liturgical season of Advent. But that is why the uh, the Gloria is suppressed during the Sundays of Advent, because we, are, we have a sober, awakening, uh, anticipatory, uh, uh, weight, if you will, to the, to the great coming visibly into the world of the Messiah, when we can literally see him outside the womb of the Blessed Virgin. And the angels, of course, convey all this in the great gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. The words of the angels to the shepherds who then go in adoration uh, to uh, the manger of the infant God-man. Great question, Larry. Thank you so much. So why is the Alleluia suppressed during Lent, but not during Advent? Why is the Alleluia suppressed during Lent, but not during Advent? Because we will hear the Alleluia on Easter morning, and so it's suppressed in in anticipation of the very penitential season of Lent. It's suppressed until we can hear it at the mother of all vigils. The Church calls the, the Easter Vigil Mass that very title. The Easter Vigil is the, quote, mother of all vigil, end quote. Uh, all vigils and uh, that is when we will hear it again and so it's again it's a holy suppression of of the Alleluia during Lent in anticipation of what will come uh, during the sac- at the end of the sacred Triduum when we celebrate the Easter Vigil Mass
1: next up for us is the great state of Florida Michelle is listening on Guadalupe radio Michelle thanks for holding you're on with Father Wade uh,
5: yes good afternoon um, you had asked for witnesses to a holy death. Yes. Uh, You're in the show, and I just wanted to uh, share my mother's holy death Um, in 2004, and to God God be the glory for this. uh, My mother was living in our home with cancer. Uh, On Wednesday after Easter, she asked me to put her pajamas on. She wanted to get into the hospice bed, and so we did that. And she never got out of that bed again until she died uh, Mm. a couple days later during the time that she was in this bed our pastor stopped by every night for prayers to bring her the precious blood uh, because that's all she could um, consume a a few drops of that Um, but she received you know the the anointing of the sick and I believe she had confession Uh, my mother was a lifelong Catholic Mm. faithful Catholic and um, is always was always thinking about other people, and a beautiful example for me, um, my husband's mother was up in Maryland. We were in Florida, and th- the family was holding a 75th birthday party for my mother-in-law. My husband was scheduled to go. With my mother taking a sudden turn for the worst and knowing that the end was coming, he was going to cancel the trip to his mother's a birthday party and my mother poked out her little bony finger and she pointed right at him at the foot of her bed and she said, You go to your mother's party. Mm. So so he did, which to me here she is dying and she's thinking of my mother in law, and she's thinking of my husband and that was such a beautiful witness. Um, as we prayed with her every night, my pastor and I sitting by her bedside and she was, you know, kind of out of it. Um, at one point during the prayers, she opened her eyes a little bit, and we had to lean close. But we clearly, both Father Mike and I, clearly heard her say, "I'm being open. No, I'm being guided. The way is the way is open. I'm being guided." Beautiful. And that was so beautiful. And um, then the Lord took her home on Divine Mercy Sunday.
2: Oh, what a grace! So what a grace!
5: I I believe I uh, was given the first class witness. A holy death and to how to age and die in God's grace in mercy.
2: Sure, so I, I, would agree, I would agree. with you with you on that, Michelle. I, I would agree with you fully on that. And uh, you you said that that uh, uh, they receive the the fullness of the five elements of the last rites. Is that is that correct? Is that what you intimated?
5: Yes, I believe so. I was not aware of that until you mentioned those five steps mm-hmm. on. Um, in the show, and uh, I, yeah. I really had not thought for that, but I, I'm thinking she probably hit most of those.
2: <laughs> yeah, if. again, that would be the uh, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, uh, confession, number two, if the person feels they need to go, and of course if they're able to go. They may not be able to go if, if it's a like, for example, a intensive care unit, ICU unit in a hospital, and they have a lot of apparatus on them, let's say just following a, a terrible car accident, and they have a lot of breathing apparatus on them. Uh, they may not be able to make a confession, but but nevertheless, the five elements are uh, that constitute the quote unquote last rites are the anointing of the sick, the ability to go to confession, okay, if they feel they need to go, uh, the prayers of commendation for the dying, which includes the litany of the saints being prayed over the person, uh, one's holy viaticum. One's final Holy Communion, again, if they're able to receive, like confession, they may not be able to receive because of apparatus on them. And fifthly, and lastly, uh, the apostolic pardon, which doubles as a plenary indulgence uh, at the very moment of death. And, uh, you know, tabernaculum, where we get the English word tabernacle from, uh, it means tent, in it from the Greek. Uh, think of the third trope of, of the Angelus prayer, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Well, I love the Greek translation because it says, and the word became flesh and he pitched his tent among us. Okay, A shepherd pitches his tent with his sheep in the pasture because he doesn't want to leave the sheep alone because then there's a chance that predators will come to attack his sheep. So instead the shepherd will pitch his tent and inside of our Catholic churches where we reserve the host, the consecrated host, for the homebound, and for the sick who can't make it to Mass. Secondarily, we reserve the host for adoration, but primarily we reserve it for the sick and homebound. I'm building up here talking about Holy Viaticum. This is why our Lord has pitched His tent, His tabernaculum, His tabernacle inside of our Catholic churches. He is with us because He doesn't want to leave us alone. The Shepherd is among us in His true, real, and abiding presence in His body, blood, soul, and divinity from the words of consecration onwards at Holy Mass. And we reserve these consecrated hosts following Mass, right? So, should you receive Holy Viaticum, your final Holy Communion, and you die soon after that, okay? Guess what? You die a tabernaculum. You die a tabernacle because you are reserving in you the sacred species of the consecrated host. The Church holds that the the consecrated species remains in the person after reception of Holy Communion for about 15 minutes, give or take. I mean, a lot of that depends on the physiology of the individual person, you know, weight, uh, body, heat, etc. So for some people it may be shorter, for some people it may be a longer period than 15 minutes, and and again, some shorter. But an average would be about 15 minutes. If one receives Holy Viaticum and dies soon after that, within that 15 minute period, they die a tabernaculum. They die a tabernacle, housing our Lord in their body. They, and, and the word viaticum is very, very interesting in the Latin. If you break it down, it's via viatecum. That's where we get the word viaticum from. Uh, again, one of the five elements of the last rites, viaticum. Uh, but if you break it down, it's via viatecum, which the literal English would be to take with you, to take it with you. In other words, you're taking the consecrated host with you from this earthly realm into the eternal realm. From man's time, chronos, where we get the word chronology from, into God's time, the kairos, Okay, And this is why I like to say if one receives the last rite, well, really with any of the seven sacraments, but especially with anything involving the Eucharist, the Eucharist itself or, or the last rites, which also includes the other sacrament of the anointing of the sick and the other sacrament of confession. But whenever we celebrate any of the seven sacraments, what, what we're experiencing is the chronos of man and the kairos of God colliding and that's just a beautiful thought, and to die a tabernacle housing our Lord, just like the tabernacles in our Catholic churches house our Lord, the, the consecrated host with him truly present for the sick and the homebound. What a powerful witness, and how beautiful to see that holy and provided for death uh, with those elements of the, of the last rites. Thank you so much, Michelle, for a great uh, uh, witness call from Florida today. We really appreciate it. I will be in Newport, Ritchie, Florida next week for a four-night parish mission, at uh, St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Church to serve Father Eric Peters and his entire staff and all of his parishioners. So from Turlock, California this week to uh, Newport Ritchie next week, and I believe it's Tampa I'm flying in. Does that sound right, uh, Michelle? Is Tampa near Newport Ritchie? Yep. Okay, yeah, Jack knows. That's right. Jack's a Floridian now uh, since marrying his lovely wife, Jeanette.
1: Tasco Pas- County will never be the same.
2: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Thou hast said it, Jack. (laughs) All right, Michelle, thank you so much for a great call.
1: If you're listening to us here in the Birmingham area, our EWTN gift shop is having a very special open house today only until 5 p.m. They have refreshments, lots of items for those special people on your Christmas list, including books, framed art, statues, and even the 12 Days of Christmas Ornaments. Don't miss the open house at the gift shop here on EWTN's campus today, now until 5 p.m. I also want to invite you to tune in to Mother Angelica Live Classics tonight at 8 Eastern Time. Tonight, Mother explains the glorious Marian doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Reception. It's Mother Angelica Live Classics tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on EWTN radio and television. Tina's up next, a first-time caller in the great state of Illinois listening on WSFI radio. Tina, you're on with Father Wade.
5: Hi, thank you for taking my call.
4: I
1: have you- a quick
5: uh- question. So my question is, is I find myself often during um, the mass that I am kind of speaking Father's words uh, to myself, like during the consecration. I do it mostly for me, because I feel like I am more engaged uh, in the words, I feel like they're going directly into my heart and my soul, but I do want to make sure that I am not uh, in any way disrespecting um, Father and His position.
2: Sure, sure. So there's definitely uh, the the parts of the priests at Mass and the parts of the laity at Mass. To follow in the Roman Missal, and you can buy your daily Roman Missal or Sunday Roman Missal through EWTNRC.com at your local Catholic bookstore, and you can follow along the priest's parts and literally be reading them silently as he's saying them aloud, and even the parts that he says silently to himself, you'll know what those are from the Roman Missal as well. There's nothing wrong with that, following along with the Missal, huh? Uh, It would be inappropriate to mouth... Or, or with your lips say, even, even solo voce, Latin for a, a very low voice, even to do in a very low voice, it would be not proper uh, to follow along the words with the priest and say them literally with him, because those are the words of at, during the sacred liturgy, the holy sacrifice of the mass, for the ordained minister who is acting in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, and in persona Christi capitis, in the person of Christ the head. That said, there's nothing wrong with you following them along with the Roman Missal, or if you don't have a Roman Missal, while he's saying his words out loud at the altar, you could be saying them interiorly interiorly to yourself, Understanding that line of demarcation between lay and cleric and between cleric and lay, between the one offering the sacrifice in his ministerial priesthood versus the laity in the pews offering their sacrifice through their baptismal priesthood. You know, it's very interesting that at the words of offertory we hear the priests say, "'Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours.'" may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. This is right after after the offering of the bread and wine. I say bread and wine because the Eucharistic prayer hasn't taken place yet. Consecration hasn't taken place yet. But he's offered the bread and wine during the offertory. And and what closes the offertory is, just before the preface prayer, is the priest saying in his ministerial priesthood, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. Well, what he's saying is, is this. He's saying this. Pray, brethren, brothers and sisters, gathered in the pews in front of me, that my sacrifice and your sacrifice, laity, may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. Well, wait a minute. If a priest is the only person who can offer a sacrifice, how is it then that he's saying to the laity to offer their sacrifice? Because they're offering their sacrifice through their baptismal priesthood, also known as the common priesthood of all the baptized, which is not a sacrament, but is tied to the sacrament of baptism. The priest is offering the Mass through his ministerial priesthood, which is a sacrament, and it's called the Sacrament of Holy Orders. Both priesthoods, the ministerial priesthood of the priest, the Sacrament of Holy Orders, and the baptismal priesthood of all the laity, what's called the common priesthood of all the baptized, are different in kind. Again, one's a sacrament, one isn't. They're different in kind, but they both partake in the threefold office of Jesus Christ as priest, prophet, and king. So, through your baptismal priesthood, you are offering a sacrifice, but the parts proper to the priest are proper precisely because of his ministerial priesthood, okay? But that's why we're able to hear those beautiful, beautiful words during Mass, pray, brethren, or pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Uh, so I wouldn't whisper the, the priest parts aloud. I wouldn't even whisper them solo voce in a whisper. Uh, if anything, just interiorly to yourself. But get a Roman missal and follow along that way. That's what I would recommend. Great, great question. Thank you so much, Dino.
1: Father, would you leave us with a blessing?
2: I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of them this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray
1: for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson, I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch on EWTN's Open Line Wednesday. Until we get together then, God bless.